Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, it's good to be together. Feels so quiet in here today. Everybody's so quiet at this moment. Yes, um, but it's good to be able to celebrate today. It's you know I was thinking about Sarah had mentioned uh, Mother's Day today and and how. Uh, days like this can be such a mixed celebration at times. It can also be, you know, I think of people who've lost their mothers, people who didn't, uh, aren't able to be mothers or want to be mothers, people who have strained relationships with their mothers. It's this mix of uh, times of celebration. It can be times of grief. It can be times of challenge. Um, and I'm thankful that the Lord, that the Lord meets us in these times. Today, I, uh, I want to speak uh, about uh, a passage of scripture and some stories uh, in the New Testament that are recorded in all three of the gospels, in, Matthew, in, in three of the four gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And uh, I titled the message, Let's Go to the Other Side, because uh, that's how Jesus starts this story. And one of the, one of the things that I want to talk about is this journey that Jesus and his disciples make to the other side of the lake, uh, to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, uh, and it's a journey that is very interesting when you read stories around that time and other stories about Jesus. There's so much about people coming to Jesus. Uh, Jesus is teaching in the synagogues and people bring people who are sick or they hear he's in a house and they come and drop somebody through a roof. There's so much, so many stories about people pursuing Jesus. The story I want to explore today is a story about Jesus and his disciples pursuing there on the pursuit. It's Jesus pursuing a man in a town, in a region that Jesus goes after. And he starts by saying, let's go to the other side. Let's go to the other side of the lake. So this, as I mentioned, is recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke and uh, in the context of where Matthew records it, he records it in these two chapter sets in, in chapter 8 and chapter 9. Matthew goes through and talks about all sorts of miracles that Jesus did in Matthew chapter 8 and 9. Mark records this in chapter uh, 4 and 5, and Luke records it in 8. But what's interesting about what Matthew records in Matthew's chapter 8 and 9, he records all these miracles that Jesus performs. And in looking at those miracles, when you read those miracles, this is after the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew, and it's before Jesus sends out the 12. So he records two chapters of miracles. It's, a, it's interesting, uh, in one of the Bible commentaries that I looked at, um, the commentators said this, one of the most important factors in understanding Matthew 8 and 9 is recognizing that Jesus is dealing with both Jews and Gentiles who are in the margins or fringes of Jewish society in these stories. And it talks about healings that he does to the lepers, to women, to people who are demon-possessed, to tax collectors, sinners, those considered impure, and the dead. The dead were also considered impure. You didn't go near the dead. You didn't touch the dead. All of these stories that Matthew records in these two chapters have to do with Jesus touching and going to people in society that were on the fringes. So our story today, the one I want to focus on in Matthew chapter 8, is that Jesus 
is it's the story about Jesus going out of his way to take a boat across the Sea of Galilee to meet this one person. So I want to pick up the story in Mark chapter 4 in uh, verse 35. Jesus says to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up and rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down. It was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Remember Graham Cook talking about this story and saying, how come the disciples didn't remember that Jesus said, let's go to the other side? When they're in the middle of the storm, they're in the middle of the lake. They're like, Jesus, you don't care about us. You don't know what's going, what we're going through. You're clearly asleep. And he gets up and he says, why are you so afraid? Do you remember my words? Let's go to the other side. You still have no faith. But they were terrified. I was recently back in March or April. If you follow the Utah Jazz, I like to follow the Utah Jazz, and this has been a fun season to follow them. They were scheduled to fly, uh, leaving Salt Lake City and flying to Oklahoma City to have a, a, a basketball game. And they took off from the Salt Lake City airport, and not long after takeoff, like maybe five or ten minutes, they hit a flock of birds, and it burned up one of the engines, and it, it, was a, it exploded, and they had all sorts of trauma and had to, like, flip the plane around and land it right back in Salt Lake City. And uh, it made the national news, and it was all over the place, and it, it was such a traumatic event that their... Um, their star player, Donovan Mitchell, said, you know, they got another plane. They're like, hey, let's just get another plane and we'll still fly to Oklahoma City. Donovan Mitchell's like, I'm not going. He's like, I'm not getting on that airplane again. And um, they talked. Uh, they still ended up going to Oklahoma. And sorry, Ray Lynn and, and my mom, but they did beat Oklahoma, which was good. They did get the, they did get the win, which was nice. Um, but I, I could imagine um, that kind of terror uh, was the type of terror that these guys were experiencing in the boat. They're, they're experiencing this idea of like, oh my gosh, what's happening? And when you hear the recount of the story, you hear them say that. You know, I don't think at that time, this kind of travel was that normal. There were some fishermen, certainly in the group, but this idea of going across the Sea of Galilee was not like us going to Park City. I, I was trying to come up with an analogy. Maybe it's like you, you getting in a prop plane and saying you're going to like Panama or something. I think we would all go, huh, okay. Uh, or Caleb, who's got a lot of great ideas, deciding he's going to get in an aluminum boat and head to Hawaii. I think I would be like, huh, that doesn't sound like a great idea. Or if you've ever been to Niagara Falls, the, con the question you always get is, well, is it on the U.S. side or is it on the Canadian side? Which side did you go to? And, uh, you know, that idea of, well, I, I, when I went, I went to the U.S. side. And, and by the way, don't go on your anniversary when you're on a work trip with a coworker and take pictures and send them to your wife. That doesn't, I know somebody who did that and uh, it wasn't a real positive thing to do. So just learn from me. I was teasing. I, I was talking to somebody who had to travel today on Mother's Day. I'm like, really? You're going to leave? your wife and your mom and you're going to travel on Mother's Day. And then I remembered our Niagara Falls story. Um, 
but let's go to the other side. Going to the other side at Niagara Falls is like, well, do you have ID? Do you have a passport? Can I go to Canada? This is not as easy as it might sound. This is a, a rough trip. This is a rough travel. And Jesus is asleep. And he's not worried. Perhaps even thinking that the storm might help guide them a little bit. Who knows? But his disciples were afraid. They're afraid for their lives. Afraid, perhaps, of where, are, where they're going. Wanting to go back. How about that? The storm spins up, and they're like, man, I didn't want to go wherever we're going anyway. Maybe we should turn back around. Jesus rebukes the storm. So there's some things I want to talk a little bit about the storm before we get to the landing. I was thinking, as I was reflecting on this storm, about how we process fear in our journeys with Jesus. Here's what a couple things that I think the storm provides. The storm provides a revelation of what's inside of us. It provides a revelation of fear. It provides a revelation of unbelief. It provides a revelation of what we're struggling with. A couple of years ago, I was going through a really difficult time. And uh, out of the blue, someone sent us an email and said, I had a picture of Aaron. And it was like he was in a boat, a small boat. And it was like headed out into the storm. And it was just choppy waves. And it was, it was one of those words where you're like, yeah, that's, that's not really the good comforting word that I wanted to hear. It was really an identification word of what I was walking through in my life at that time, headed into the storm. So revelations of what's inside of us, that's what storms do. They bring out a revelation of what's inside of us. They also, in this storm, brought a revelation about Jesus. Both one who's resting and one who has great power. And I love that. I think oftentimes um, we can swing the pendulum on which side we think about Jesus. We can be like, you know, Jesus, take the wheel. I'm just going to, I view in the, my perspective is on the resting Jesus. Jesus is asleep. He's going to take care of it. It's all going to be good. But then I also want Jesus to wake up and be like, hey, could you take care of the storm? Could you calm the circumstances down? Could you be powerful? Could you be mighty? And in this story, Jesus is both. He's resting and he's almighty. How do we live through our storms? Do we bring our fear and our unbelief to Jesus? At least they had that um, awareness, like, well, let's wake up Jesus and tell him we're afraid, and we're not sure this is going to turn out okay. Do we learn to rest when Jesus is resting? Do we trust that the Lord is powerful to bring transformation to our circumstances? Here's one for you. Do we trust that the storm could actually direct or redirect us to the right people and the right places? You know, it doesn't say where they were going to the other side. It doesn't say what town they were headed to. It doesn't say what region they were headed to. And, and as we get further in the story, I find it incredibly amazing where they end up. So I ask this question and I ponder this. Without the storms we might only go where our comfort levels are. Without the storms, we might only go to the familiar. Without the storms, we might miss where Jesus wants to bring the kingdom. So storms, they can be opportunities for us 
to face fears, expand our faith, learn to rest in what we can't control, experience new revelations of God's power, redirect and reposition our journeys, take us to the ones that Jesus wants us to touch. And I was thinking about what's my response oftentimes in storms. It's more like this. Why me? This always happens to me. The Lord doesn't care if I perish. I should have stayed home. This storm is evil and nothing good can come from it. Let's turn back. I forgot why I got in the boat in the first place. Is that, you guys are laughing, so maybe that's more of an honest assessment of how we all feel. Man, this past year has been a year of storms, yeah, hasn't it? Storms that have brought devastation, disrupted our normal way of life. I taught about a year ago that we've all been in the same storm, but we've not necessarily all been in the same boat. We've been experiencing so much. We've got this collective grief in culture right now. It's loss of life and health and experiences. We've had this collective redirection and repositioning and shifting that's occurred. Man, and we have gone, these, if I use the storm analogy, I'd say these storms have caused our individual boats at times to veer into new territory, uncharted territory, and we long for this return to normalcy. But here's what I want to encourage us today, and I think the Lord is wanting to challenge us with is, we're still here. The Lord is still with us. Where have our boats landed? Where have our boats landed? In a minute, we're going to see where Jesus' boat landed. And it landed in a region that had one person's name on it. Our lives have been disrupted. Our tra trajectories have been altered. And we've perhaps landed in some unfamiliar shores. But Jesus is the king of the other side of the lake. He's the king of the other side of the lake. What does he want to do? What does he want to do when he lands us in unfamiliar shores? When they land, they're met by scary people in graveyards and tombs and a land of foreign worship and a land of oppressive occupation. I was thinking about this as I was thinking about how storms, could you imagine a small boat and a storm disrupting the trajectory or disrupting the path of a boat? Uh, I remembered a story that um, a community in uh, Mozambique experienced. It's a story uh, from our World Outreach family. Our World Outreach family was, uh, had some missionaries that do, were doing work in the Angosh area of Mozambique. And they had heard about these different islands that were out uh, outside of Angosh. And they planned to get in their boats and go to these different islands. And they got information about the islands that, th that were in the region. And they thought, okay, let's get in the boat and let's go. And they set out and a storm comes in. And the storm pushes them further out from where they were headed. And they land on an island called Buzu. And it was an island that they never, wasn't even on the map when they had left Angosh, nobody had told them this island even existed. And the Lord landed them in this spot and they were immediately welcomed. And the Lord started just bringing the gospel of the kingdom to that people because the storm displaced them and the storm moved them to a different island. The, 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 the storm redirected what they thought was their plans and they landed in a place called Buzu. 
And they were able to minister in that place and minister from that place. And then after about three to five years, the, the sea and the winds and everything were such that it actually, uh, that island doesn't even exist anymore. The tide has taken it over and the, the people have been displaced and they've had to relocate. It's amazing. But I thought of that story. I thought about the storm repositioning the boat for a people that they didn't even know about, for the Buzu people. And how perhaps the Lord can use the storms that we've been experiencing in our lives to reposition us into new places for new people. So Psalm 65 says this about the Lord. You answer us with awesome and righteous deeds, God our Savior, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, who stilled the roaring seas, the roaring in their waves, and the turmoil of the nations. The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders. Where morning dawns, where evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. So the Lord calms the seas, and then Mark continues on and he records, starting in chapter 5, that they went across the lake to this region of the Gerasenes. And it says, when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When Jesus saw from a distance, no, sorry, excuse me. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to see Jesus, they saw the man who'd been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who'd been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them, how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. And I love this story. I love this story. It's this, this story of Jesus pursuing this one man, Jesus going after this one man, uh, this story is so, there's so much in this. And I want to just unpack a little bit of perhaps some of the content and some of the ideas that we, we see in this story. But it's recorded 
um, that it's thought that Mark was heavily influenced in his writing by the book of Isaiah. And when you look in the book of Isaiah, chapter 65, it's amazing what Isaiah describes. And you could almost see Mark thinking about Isaiah 65 as, he was, as he's recording the story of Jesus. And I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, Grace, but I just want to put up Isaiah 65. This is what it says about God. I've revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that did not call on my name, I said, here am I, here am I. I just want to stop there for a second. I find that amazing. When Jesus goes to this place, the man is not looking for Jesus. He's not pursuing Jesus. He's, he's captive. He's captive and roaming the hills and roaming these tombs. And, but, Jesus, but this is what the Lord's saying. He's revealing himself to those who do not ask, found for those who do not seek. And he's saying, here am I, here am I. So I'm going to jump down to verse. So who is he saying this to? In verse 4, it says this, those who sit among the graves, those who spend their nights keeping secret vigil, who eat the flesh of pigs and whose pots hold broth of impure meat. Isn't that amazing? Describes a lot of this scene that Jesus shows up to in this side of the lake. This man living amongst the tombs, amongst the graves, by himself, tortured. And, and we have the concept of the flesh of pigs. And this is meant to designate and help people understand that this was a Gentile region. Uh, one scholar even says this about pigs, that in the Roman world, pigs were a favorite sacrificial animal. No Roman tomb was legally protected without a pig being sacrificed. And demons were understood to have a particular liking for them. <laughs> Not sure where the commentary came on that. They had a particular liking for them. But you get this idea of this land that he's come to. The legion, that the reference of legion, uh, the name of this demons, at that time, a legion meant 6,000 Roman soldiers. That was the uh, definition of what a legion was at that time, was 6,000 Roman soldiers. Mark gives 12 accounts of Jesus casting out demons, and the demons always recognize Jesus as God's son. You are God's son. You are the most high. It's amazing that Jesus goes to these people who aren't even looking for him. He goes to a place that's incredibly unclean, graveyards and tomb sites, to a people that are unclean. There's a couple of other pictures that people have brought out um, to help explain or help flesh out or even explore this story in greater detail. One is a likening of this story to the Exodus story of how God set his people free from Egypt. And if you go read in Exodus 14 and Exodus 15, the people are backed up against the Red Sea. The Egyptians are coming and they pray the same prayer Lord, what have you done? Have you brought us out here just to die? Same prayer that the disciples are praying in their boat. Why have you brought us out here? We're going to die in this boat. And the Lord at that time sends a wind and clears the path through the Red Sea. The Lord uses a storm to get them through. Jesus lands on the other side and he brings freedom 
he brings freedom to this one person and sends this legion out. And what, what gets washed in the sea? Those demons and those pigs go into the sea. Just the same picture as in Exodus as the Egyptians are drowned into the sea. The enemies are drowned into the sea. So you get this, is this perhaps Mark's recording and the way this story is told, is this Jesus fulfilling another picture of Exodus, a picture of what God did? This, this mighty warrior, this mighty warrior who flight, fights not against flesh and blood, who fights not against people, who doesn't come in and try to establish, doesn't go into the town square, doesn't go to the places of government, doesn't go to the places of religion, goes to one person and sets the region free and drowns those demons in the sea. Man, what a picture. What a picture of Jesus fulfilling that Exodus picture. Another picture at the time that was common, and this comes from Leviticus 16 as well, there's the concept of the scapegoat. And when you look at the Day of Atonement and, and some of the practices in Leviticus 16, you would sacrifice one goat in the Day of Atonement, but then you would get another goat and you would speak all of the sins of the community on that goat and then you would send it out into the wilderness. And that goat would carry the sins. And a number of scholars have talked about, could this person at this time represent the scapegoat of the community? This one on which the sins of the community and all of the, the evil of this community is represented in this person. If you think about the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, another person that Jesus met outside of the city, a single person. Could that woman at the well have been the scapegoat for her community? The one on which all of the blame and all of the sin is focused. And where does Jesus go? Jesus goes to this man. And he brings him freedom and healing and life. Luke records that he had no clothes on. He's the only one that records that. And when he's been healed, he's clothed and in his right mind. Do we find ourselves on the margins or fringes of society? Do we find ourselves thinking that we just deserve death and torment? Do you identify with this man who's naked who's living in the tombs, who's considered unclean and impure, who maybe represents the sins of the entire community. Jesus steps out of the boat after calming the storm and arriving on the boat, and he brings complete transformation to this man. He restores his mind. He clothes him. He restores his dignity, removes his shame, and transforms his life. The other thing that Jesus does in this community is he ruins the status quo of this community by sending, by setting that one man free. He unlocks and changes that community. The Passion Translation records that they estimate those pigs are worth maybe $250,000 in today's money. A big impact. The town is now free of a legion of demons that kept them blind, tormented, and oppressed. And then Jesus leaves this man behind. And I love what he says this. He leaves him behind and he says, tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And the Lord says he loves mercy. Today, 
Jesus is continuing to pursue people, go after people and get out of his boat. And he's looking for you and I. He's looking for the person who believes they're farthest from being accepted. Jesus has come to free us, to put us in our right minds, to restore us, restore our dignity, remove our shame and clothe us and separate us from this identity that we've had and bring a new identity. Jesus came to this people who did not ask for him, did not seek him, did not call on his name, but the Lord crossed over to the other side of the lake and met them there. In Psalm 68, uh, sorry, before I go to Psalm 68, there's a, a writer, James Warren, he wrote a book called Compassion or Apocalypse, and he, he has this quote. He says this, he says, a herd of pigs charging over a cliff and falling into the sea, the same thing that had happened countless times in the ancient world to countless victims of mob violence. Do you, do you all recall there's a story where they tried to do that to Jesus? They got him to the edge of the cliff, and then the Bible records that he walked right back through. There was a mob that tried to do this to Jesus. The real excitement of Jesus's miracle, therefore, is that for the first time in history, it's the crowd, the mob, that is cast over the cliff, while the scapegoat goes free. Rather than the scapegoat being cast out of the city, the city is cast out of the scapegoat, who now sits there clothed and is of right mind. I think that's beautiful. Psalm 68, I'd like to just go there if I could. Sing to God, sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord, exalt before him. Father of the fatherless and protector of the widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. I love thinking about that man that Jesus went across the lake to see, and he says that he's going to settle him in a home. When he leaves, when Jesus leaves, he says to him, return. He says to return to his community. He says, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Imagine this man who's been separated. He's not been in his home, not been with his friends, not been with his, his family, and the Lord restores him and sets that solitary man in a home and he leads out prisoners to prosperity. So for us today, how do we think about our storms and our wind and the things that we're experiencing? Do we think about them as helping us to cross over and clearing a path for us to encounter new people and new places? I just wanna ask us today to think about this for our own lives. I think the Lord wants to remind us and invite us to trust him in the storm, to trust that the disruption and redirection of the storm can be turned for good. Jesus also wants to invite us to receive his healing and his freedom and his acceptance and his forgiveness and his love. The fact that he's pursued the outcast to become a follower of Jesus. Jesus makes that invitation to you. He comes across the lake today and he says, I want you. 
I have life and freedom for you. I have hope for you. Will you receive the Son of God? Do we receive Jesus as this warrior king, the one who defeats the legions in our lives and in our land? So will we go with Jesus to the other side and see Jesus in ways we've never seen him before? How much the Lord has done for us and how much mercy has he had on us? I love that we see these pictures of the Samaritan woman and this man in this community where Jesus goes and he pours out his mercy and his love and a revelation of who he is on them. And if the Lord can touch that person, the entire community has changed. The Samaritan woman goes back into her community and says, he told me everything that I ever did. And then Jesus says, behold the harvest. Here comes the harvest. And this community was so rocked, they were afraid. They weren't celebrating that the man was free. They were afraid of like, oh man, what does this mean now? What does this mean now? And this man in his right mind, clothed in his right mind, now is this representation in the region of the love and the mercy of the Lord. So I want to pray for us today. I want to pray that the Lord will remind us that he pursues us and he sees us and he wants to reveal himself to us. Amen. So Father, we thank you today. We thank you that we can, we can be reminded of that picture of Jesus who's just so much going on and he just says, no, we've got to go to the other side. We've got to go to the one We've got to leave the 99 and go after the one. And thank you, Lord, that you've done that in our lives, that you come after me and that you come and you step out of that boat and you set me free. You free me from my sin and my shame and you free me from the bondages and the, the demons. Even if I've been the scapegoat or the black sheep of my community, Lord, you come and you set me free, and you extend mercy. So Lord, today we receive your mercy. We receive your love. Lord, no one else can do this. No one else can set us free. You have the power. You have the keys that unlock us. You set us free. And Lord, we just pray for our communities, Lord, and the people that were around to the ones that we're called to. Lord, that we would be able to see your mercy come and unlock their lives and set them free and bring transformation. Lord, we thank you for the transformation that you bring in the lives of individual people. Thank you that you set the solitary in families. Thank you that you lead prisoners to prosperity. Lord, thank you that you've taken us through storms. And Lord, we just pray, I pray in Jesus' name that you would redeem what, the, what has been taken, what has been eaten, what the enemy has tried to rob. Lord, we pray that you would redeem it. You would redeem it. Lord, any sort of uh, redirecting and repositioning that you've done to us in these times of storms that have, that have happened, Lord, would you make, would you turn them for good? Would you reposition us in the right places and with the right people? 
Lord, we trust you. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.